I'm going to read from our lectionary text, uh, which is second, no, first Peter chapter two, verses two through 10. I'm actually reading today from this particular translation. This is the inclusive Bible, the first egalitarian translation. Uh, I like to use several translations when I'm reading through. I'm getting a lot of comments. <laughs> um, yeah, I like to read through different translations, and so I'm reading from this one today. All right, so it says, Like newborn babies, be hungry for nothing but milk. The pure milk of the word that will make you grow into salvation. Now that you have tasted that our God is good. Come to Christ a living stone, rejected by mortals, but approved nonetheless, chosen and precious in God's eyes, and you are living stones as well. You are being built as an edifice of spirit to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. For scripture has it, See, I'm laying a cornerstone in Zion, an approved stone and precious. Those who put their faith in it will not be shaken. The stone is precious for you who have faith, but for those without faith, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and at the same time an obstacle and a stumbling block. Those who stumble and fall are the disbelievers in God's word. It is their destiny to do so. You, however, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a people set apart to sing the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful divine light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once there was no mercy for you, but now you have found mercy. We hear the voice of God in these words. Thanks be to God. Take a little sip of water. All right, so today's lectionary epistle is a text for the church. And here we are. We may be separated by distance and by screens, but here we are peace of Christ church, part of the church universal. And today's reading is about the foundation of the church. It's about the church and our oneness. It's about being built on the rock of a deeply personal faith. It's about Christ as our temple and us as its priests. It's about this new paradigm of faith that was being ushered in, and in fact, that is still being ushered in today. And the foundation of this work is laid out here in this text. And I love, did you catch it? That the first line begins with feminine maternal imagery. Like newborn babies, it says. Be hungry for nothing but milk. My friends, this is Mother God imagery. This is a Mother God metaphor for us to feast on today with its reference to infants and their longing for milk. It's an instinctual longing to be filled, to thrive, to get chubby and chunky and happy, to live. 
mother's milk, the life source for the most vulnerable among us, a newborn child. So it's Mother's Day, and I like to use this occasion to highlight the divine feminine image of God within us and among us. And um, feminist theologian Sally McFaig said that God is neither, or God is she, he, and neither. We know this to be true, right? We know God is so much bigger, so much more than our finite gender constructs, our limited constructs. We know this, but we also need to acknowledge two realities. The first is that gender has been assigned to God, whether we like it or not specifically through the harmful lens of patriarchy, which is any societal system in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. And over the course of history, God has been assigned to the male gender based on this imbalanced human construct that is informed by power and domination. And hear me when I say this hierarchical, toxic masculine image of God has been very, very harmful, both systemically and on very micro-personal levels. Yeah. That's a whole other sermon, by the way. This harm caused is a whole other sermon, which I already preached. You can go back and look for it. It's called God as She. But it's a reality that we have to deal with. And then there's this other reality, which is that we simply must bring the divine down to earth so that we can intimately engage with God in an embodied way that we can understand. Why do you think Christ needed to exist as a human person walking the earth? If we're going to experience God, or at the very least just even fathom God, We need metaphor, we need language, and we need to see ourselves in God and God in us. We need this kind of connection. So, I love that despite history's patriarchal context that also informed the production of our biblical text, and despite our own linguistic limitations, Our reading today, laying out the foundation of the church and what it ought to look like, begins with Mother God imagery. We don't talk enough about it. We don't talk enough about the divine feminine image of God. This is a part of God that the Christian church loves to squirm over, but it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to make you squirm today. I'm going to talk about it. Plus, I think... The powerful imagery of mother is a really natural entry point for us because we've all experienced mothering in some way, shape, or form. Have you ever wondered why we even talk about Mother's Day at church? I know I have. What about it makes it theologically relevant? Perhaps... It's because we understand and experience God through metaphors such as family. We've known God in our faith predominantly as Father. 
We even know God as babe in the manger every year at Christmas. Maybe we throw so much emphasis, celebration, and reverence behind Mother's Day because we're subconsciously aware of how much Mother God is missing from our faith equation. Of course, mothers and families tend to love to come to church on Mother's Day. I have seen this to be true. And gratitude abounds. Even in this space, our gratitude abounds for mothers. But I want to suggest that everything that is true and good and wonderful about mothers is something we first see and learn and witness from the divine feminine, Mother God. The nature of mothering comes from God. And it's a part of each one of us. This is not about gender identity. It is a part of each one of us too. Each of us experience mothering and each of us practice mothering all the time. Why? How? Because God defines mothering work. God defines the nurturing love and energy that we attribute to the concept of mother. God as mother. It's a powerful Visual, because on a primal level, it is the mother who grows and produces and sustains life. And this is what God does for us, right? God mothers us. God mothers us by bringing us into new life. God mothers us by nourishing us with divine presence. God mothers us offering sustenance through divine feminine hope. You guys know we love interfaith work around here. Several years ago, we put on an interfaith retreat in partnership with some other faith communities in Austin. People and teachers from various faith communities met together for the day and taught each other practices from their faith tradition, shared their practices with us. And the gal who spoke to us from Hinduism Uh, spoke about God and devotion in a way that I'll never forget. She compared our yearning for the divine to a baby, specifically to an infant crying out for her mother. The baby doesn't know the mother's name. The baby doesn't know whether she's her biological mom or married or straight or gay or rich or poor or employed or educated. The baby doesn't know any of this. She only knows to cry out when she's tired, when she's hungry, when she's afraid, when she's angry. The baby knows instinctively to cry out and this mothering presence will come. We do the same thing. We cry out to a God we don't completely know. We don't understand everything about. And yet on some level, we know that this presence will show up somehow, in some way. This is faith. This is the kind of presence that we seek from God, right? That a part of ourselves is always safe, always held, always provided for, connected to God in this instinctual, which is to say mystical way. I believe To experience this is to experience Mother God's presence in our lives. 
you know, when I think about Ahmaud Arbery, the young black man who was murdered because several racist men suspected he might be a burglar, when I think about him and the countless other black and brown men who are assumed to be criminals who are treated with such utter disregard in both life and death, who were killed for existing, I think about their mothers. Do any of you do that? I, can anyone think? Imagine their mothers right now without pain, without feeling some pain in your body. So when I think about God's pain over a mod and these black lives treated with such cruelty, I don't think about the God of those men who killed him. That patriarchal, vengeful, violent God they've built up in their minds who look like them. Nope. I don't think about them. I don't think about him. I think of Mother God. Mother God grieving. Mother God crying out for justice, wailing in agony like a mother would, fierce, furious. I know her pain is unfathomable, but I would imagine it looks a lot like the grief of the black mothers raising sons in America, of the black moms grieving over sons who keep getting killed for going on jogs or eating ice cream or wearing hoodies or whatever. They grieve. Mother God grieves. This is my God. This is the same God we've always known. Just a more fuller, more truer one. And I wonder why does this God make so many people angry? Why do people get so uncomfortable? Christian people have such a reaction to sacred feminine language and imagery. I know there's lots of layers, lots of ways to come at this, but somewhere down deep, I think people are scared. And if you aren't, if you aren't at all, if you have no fear, if you're not the least bit squirmy or uncomfortable, then praise be to God because you, friend, you have been liberated. <laughs> but I think most of us, most of us deconstructed and deconstructing Christians are a little scared. Because you know what Mother God does? She gives us the permission we need, the little nudge we need to face our child selves. And this is scary because this comes with trauma and it comes with work. A lot of sifting, a lot of excavating, it's hard. Think about your inner child. Think about the trauma you've known as a child. I wanna know what you would say to that child right now, to your child self. I wanna know.
This is the work. And these are the words of Mother God. Does make sense? She is giving us divine feminine hope. But like a good mom, she doesn't do it all for us. She compels us, rather, to grasp onto this hope for ourselves, to learn how to use it for ourselves so we can know the fullness of it and share it with our children and their children in our world. Mother God wants us to be healed. She wants us, her children, to be well, to be, to be healthy, to be protected, to be nurtured, and to know without a doubt the kind of like muscle memory, unconditional love. This is the kind of love a mother gives. Hopefully. This isn't women's talk, friends. There are a lot of reasons why women need this kind of liberation, to be sure. Women need to be freed from all the fear and shame patriarchy has ingrained to inside us. We've been wounded, and we carry that feminine wound in a unique way. But this isn't women's talk. This is for all of us, right? We all need healing. So if I could say anything about, about the divine feminine, it would be this. This is the nugget I want you to hear. So many of us are missing out on the fullness of God. We know parts of God. We have bits of faith. But the fullness of God has not been ours yet. Which means... We are also missing out on the fullness of ourselves. Because our Mago Day is based on all of the divine, the whole picture, not just a part of it. We were made in the image of God. It's an image we cannot totally fathom, though we spend our lives trying to. This is the spiritual journey. We go on this journey because drawing near to the divine, our source, gives us inexplicable hope. It's hope we cannot live without. We can survive, but we cannot live and thrive from deep within ourselves. So when we limit God to one gender, not only do we perpetuate all the harm of patriarchy, but we also limit the well of our own healing and hope. This is what Mother God, the Divine Feminine, teaches us. Recently, I happened upon a snake in my yard. You guys, some of you know about it. I posted, some of you commented. I live against a green belt, but I've never seen a snake in my yard. Lyle's seen some, our long guy has. They've never really been that big, but I haven't. I have never seen one. But the other day, I was going out to measure this garden space. And as soon as I stepped over the little rock barrier that we have around the circumference of it, as soon as I went to step over it, I almost stepped on a snake. You guys, it was like this big. It was a big snake. (sighs) I ran. A week later, I'm going on this walk by myself on these trails behind our house, remember Greenbelt. And just as I'm about to step over the barrier and onto the trail, I see a big ass snake. (laughs) 
And I double check. I double check just to be sure. And then I run because it was another big one. So I'm walking home. I'm huffing. I'm puffing. I've never seen a snake in three years. And now in the span of one week, I've seen two. And both have been large. And both times, I was trying to do something that was spiritually, specifically spiritually healing. And I was pissed. <laughs> so I get home. I go inside. I need to work on this sermon. So I pull out my Sue Monk kid book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughters, a book that really informed my feminine awakening. And I hadn't looked at it in years, so I start flipping through it. And I'm looking to see all I underlined several years ago. And I get to this part that I had starred and sort of marked. And she's talking about the creation story. And the creation story is a whole nother sermon. But she's talking about the creation story and the snake's meaning in antiquity. And she talks about how in ancient times, the snake was not feared, but revered. She talks about how the snake was a divine symbol, a symbol of sacred feminine energy and power. And this doesn't happen to me often. I'm assuming it doesn't happen to you often, but I immediately had a physical reaction. Chills go up and down my body and this thought didn't come to my head. This thought reverberated throughout my body. And the thought was this. What if those snakes were blessing the ground I was walking on? It still gives me... <laughs> I'm going to freak you guys out, but that was the thought. What if those snakes were blessing the ground I walked on? And the point is this. Whether you think I'm crazy or not from <laughs> this story, the point is this. Something that scared me ended up a blessing. And not just a blessing, a welcome. Something that terrified me became an entry point to God. And I think we need to do something like this when we consider and engage the divine feminine. We need to explore why it scares us. We need to explore why it might repel us or whatever. We need to do this because we need to go deeper into the fullness of God, not away, deeper toward the center. Remember, not away. We need to know who God really is or at least get as close as we can get so we go deeper. This is a part of naming and naming the naming of God is a part of the responsibility of the church, which is why the text today is so relevant to this conversation. Because on the other side of this pandemic, life is going to look really different for all of us. It's going to look different for the global economy, for our society, for our culture and politics. And yes, it is going to look different for the church, capital C. We are building the church anew. We're laying the foundation right now. And we're given a blueprint in today's reading that is still valid. Look at the ancient metaphor in the text. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the temple. Well, what do you know? It doesn't include an actual building. We're okay. We're okay, guys. 
Christ is our temple. We are its priests, meaning we don't need anybody else's access. We don't need anybody else's permission or authority concerning the presence or image of God. We are doing the naming. I'm going to snap for myself. (laughs) Naming is a part of our collective beholding. Beholding is our inner work. We need to behold the divine feminine. We need to lean into it so we can know the healing she has in store for us, for our inner child. We need to lean into it so we can learn all she has to teach us, which is so much. We need to lean in so we can cultivate the kind of hope she has to offer us. And we do all of this so that we can live from deep within ourselves and from this deep well of our own Imago Dei, know, not just in part, but the fullness, the fullness of our God. Praise be to God for divine feminine hope. Amen.